tonight on Global News, storm on the horizon. The heavy rain headed for the south coast and how long it will last. Plus, running out of room. These type of venues just don't exist in, in uh, Vancouver. Event spaces disappearing in Metro Vancouver. The social and economic cost of it all. Also tonight, keeping tradition and hope alive. People continue to put their hands out to help and I really appreciate that. The community once again creating Christmas cheer for an Nanaimo family hit hard by cancer. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. Winter storms are leaving their mark on coastal areas. Wind warnings have been issued for the north coast and a rainfall warning is in effect for much of the BC south coast. High tide warnings and rain this morning were not enough to keep swimmers out of the waters of English Bay. A special weather statement is in place as an atmospheric river approaches the south coast. Between 70 and 100 millimeters of rain are in the forecast starting Monday. That brings an increased risk of flooding and landslides, as well as snow in the mountain passes. Two people are in hospital after a head-on collision involving two semis on Highway 1 near Sycamus this afternoon. BC Emergency Health Services says the call came in just after 2 for the stretch of highway between Salmon Arm and Sycamus. Those in the area say a snowstorm has created hazardous road conditions, although the cause of the crash has not been determined. Highway 1 was closed in both directions for some time. Emergency services also responding to a massive crash on Highway 97A involving a logging truck and three other vehicles. This incident happened just before 3 p.m., about five kilometers south of Sycamus. BC Emergency Health Services says three ambulances attended, but no patients were taken to hospital. The highway remains closed at this hour. A rescue call on the North Shore early this morning for a pair of hikers not prepared for the winter weather. Crews got the call around 4 a.m. in the Elsay Lake area near Mount Seymour Provincial Park and responded with a Talon helicopter. Two international students were in need of rescue after staying in a cabin. They were wearing running shoes, which rescue crews say is not proper footwear and that this is another reminder for hikers to be prepared. They went in on a day where weather was good, but the forecast for the evening and today was not good. So um, they were unable to get themselves back out and uh, they had to, to call for help. They needed to call for help. They were that, that, that unprepared. Um, at least they had a cabin to stay in and they had an inreach so that they could send out a satellite uh, text message for help. Crews were able to rescue the students and bring them back to safety. Rescue crews say weather can change quickly in the mountains, so be ready for the worst. And winter conditions on the mountains often means rain in Metro Vancouver, and we can expect to see lots of it. Here's Steph Florian. We've been talking about it all weekend. We've had a series of three storms. Now we are bracing for the impact of the third in this series, an atmospheric river uh, that's brewing offshore, making headway towards the south coast through the evening hours and into your Monday morning. Expecting very heavy rain for the entire south coast, especially west side of Vancouver Island, inland sections and all of the mainland areas under a watch right now. It will time out Monday all day through the overnight and into your Tuesday morning. 
morning. C expect downpours with the system. Uh, it is under all those green areas under a special watch right now where we are anticipating heavy amounts of rain at times. So we're watching the high tides as we could be seeing some localized flooding, even advisories into our mountain passes. The Coquihalla expecting severe amounts of rainfall into the evening Monday night. So heavy rain for the south coast on the way. Thanks, Steph. BC Ferries has revised its sailings between Prince Rupert and Skidigat until Tuesday due to forecasted bad weather. No sailings are cancelled, but beginning tonight, the sailing out of Prince Rupert will leave 20 minutes sooner at 9.40 p.m. Scheduled sailings on Monday and Tuesday have changed anywhere between an hour and a half to five hours. The schedule for the Prince Rupert and Bella Bella route has also been revised for Tuesday. BC Ferries advises anyone sailing these routes to check its website and customers are required to check in 90 to 120 minutes before the revised sailing time. If you're looking to organize an event in Metro Vancouver, say a wedding or a party, you know it's no easy task. As the competition for space continues to heat up across the region, event planners say they're being squeezed out. Cassidy Moscone has the story. Showcasing 40 local distilleries to over 500 attendees. BC Distilled is the largest spirits festival in the province, but next year's event could be put on ice. They got back within a couple of hours and told me, yeah, sorry, uh, there are no events. We're not taking any bookings. And that's it. The Croatian Cultural Centre cancelling the booking that was made months in advance. The reason, restructuring their business model. There have got to be dozens and dozens and dozens of events now. Everything from craft fairs to weddings. That This is a, I realise it's the Croatian uh, Cultural Centre, but it's a community space and losing it is going to have a really big impact for a lot of important groups in Vancouver. Distilled BC, not the only operator feeling squeezed for space. What we've seen over the last few years is that uh, meeting space continues to dwindle. The last new major space was, as you can see on the screen there, the park back in 2017 near Yaletown. Now, in that same time period, the population of Metro Vancouver has grown by nearly 200,000 people. There are these type of venues just don't exist in, in uh, Vancouver. Just last month, the Vancouver City Council passed a bylaw essentially doubling the number of events that can be held in non-traditional spaces. It's hoped it will ease the supply and demand squeeze. Now you're allowed to hold up to six special events per month in a non-traditional space, like uh, an industrial area, could be a warehouse for example, uh, could be a retail store, so when it's closed after hours that you could hold a small music concert there. Opening existing doors to find a solution. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. A 38-year-old man has been sentenced to nine and a half years in prison in connection with a fatal stabbing in New Westminster two years ago. In November 2021, 51-year-old Robert Poshuk walked into the Waves Coffee House on Columbia Street bleeding heavily after a confrontation with two men. A short time later, Curtis Crossley was charged with second-degree murder. After credit for time served, he's now serving an additional six years and 185 days in prison. His brother Ryan Crossley was also convicted of second-degree murder in connection with the stabbing. 
School board trustees say they're facing more challenges when it comes to holding meetings, facing protests at what were once quiet affairs that rarely attracted attention. Angela Jung has the story. We want all families to support their children and schools in teaching respect and inclusion. The Mission School Board held this event to dispel myths about SOGI, which stands for Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity. I came here with an open mind and an open heart to learn about the SOGI curriculum. After the myth-busting presentation, the event was cut short Tuesday night after outbursts from the audience. When the superintendent asked attendees to write out their questions. If you want to disrupt, come on outside with me. They are coming from outside of mission and just wanting to disrupt because when you bring a megaphone to a meeting, you're not really there to listen. You're there to disrupt. But Augusta Gladstone fought back with song. That's her singing and drumming in an attempt to drown out the shouting. I explained to my son, I was like, you're going to see mommy get really upset, but mommy has to speak out for people that can't do it for themselves. Gladstone says she came prepared because she'd seen anti-Soji protesters at other school district meetings. In late September, hundreds of protesters disrupted this meeting in Abbotsford. Police had to escort school trustees out of the building. We want to be peacefully asked in mission, more officers were called and the meeting was abruptly over. It's really upsetting actually because I think people came in the community to listen and to gain knowledge and the anti-Soji people really ruined it for everybody and really made a fool of themselves. The school board chair says this incident won't prevent them from holding similar events in the future. We're just going to keep giving information to parents and um, we might have another event that is staff driven. Gladstone says she will not be silenced, her voice only getting stronger. Angela Jung, Global News. Still ahead, Prince George business owners fed up with crime. Dozens of downtown retailers say city council isn't doing enough to keep the core safe. And neighbors in Nanaimo coming together this holiday season to raise spirits and money for a woman battling stage four cancer. In Nanaimo, a community is rallying around a cancer patient as she fights for treatment wherever she can find it. We have introduced you to the Caverleys before, and this year, as Grace Key reports, she's needing help from family and neighbours to make the annual Christmas light display a reality. Hanging up the Christmas lights was a family tradition that's turned into a community tradition for one Nanaimo family. Two and a half years ago, my husband Bruce was also diagnosed with late stage cancer and very quickly we lost him. So he was here for I think one light up and, and that was it for him. At the time, Cindra Caverly was battling breast cancer. A year after Bruce's death, she and her three children got the devastating news. Cindra's cancer had spread to her brain. And unfortunately our medical system doesn't have answers for me at this point. There's no, there's no treatment. So I just spent three weeks in Mexico doing alternative type things like IV treatments and stem cells and things like that to help 
me get through this. It's been a struggle physically, emotionally, and financially. Fundraisers have been held to help make ends meet and to help pay for the expensive alternative treatment. Friends and family have helped out in any way they can. And now that Bruce is no longer here, it's just it's just nice to help out help out the family the best we can. Not many ways that we really know how, but this is one of the few ways that we can easily do it for sure. She's got a, a lot of community support from uh, you know the kids' schools and. Yeah, it's been great. Sandra says she's looking forward to a peaceful, quiet Christmas this year, and she's thankful to those who have helped to make it a little brighter. Because I know we ask a lot. We're always putting our hands up for some sort of support, and people continue to put their hands out to help, and I really appreciate that. The children once said they wanted the decorations to be bright enough so their father could see them from heaven. So it's really nice having people to help out here. And my mom's really happy having her Christmas lights up. So, Thanks to the care and compassion from a community, they got their wish once again. Grace Key, Global News. Today is International Persons with Disabilities Day, and in Surrey, inclusion advocates are celebrating the expansion of inclusive swim sessions. Sensory swim times have been expanded at Surrey Recreation Facilities following increased demand from the community. Anyone looking to swim in a quiet, low-stimulation environment can now do so at the Surrey Sports and Leisure Centre and at South Surrey Indoor Pool. Select allocated dates and times can be found online with the first session on Monday. Advocates say it's a step in the right direction with more work to be done. I understand, but I would rather have seen twice a week in one, in one facility and then expand it maybe a bit quicker. So I want them to do this right. I want people with lived experience to feel like they have a voice and say in this process. But if that means that we have to go slow, we have to go slow. I absolutely would love to see all of our uh, swimming pools have sensory friendly swimming for all children that are not just with autism, but other children that need this type of environment. It's absolutely incredible that our city supports all families. Sensory-friendly kits, which include headphones and communication cards, among other items, are now available at Surrey Rec Centres. The issue of safety in downtown Prince George may be coming to a head as frustrations are boiling over for local business owners. We get the story from CKPG News. I'm done. I represent 148 business people in downtown Prince George. They have told me, and I'm going to tell you, we're done. Downtown businesses are fed up with what they feel is an increasingly dangerous downtown. Last week we had the, the ladies up the flower shop. We're, uh, we're uh, virtually attacked by uh, a young lady brandishing a knife. We've got people that are looking at relocating, packing up, or just closing their businesses altogether. We can't do it down here. What needs to be done? For Zukowski, he's pointing straight to City Council, as he says they haven't done anything to help since they were elected last year, and it's time to step up or step out. Three weeks is what I'm going to give them for a time window, or they'll be hearing from a bunch of the business owners en masse. That's where we're at right now. We're, we're beyond asking, we're beyond being polite. The building explosion is one of downtown's biggest symbols of business owners' frustrations. And both the city of Prince George and the RCMP agree, downtown safety is a problem. The city says an immediate solution within Zukowski's three-week window won't be happening, but solutions and improvements have already been made when the council was elected last year. 
The city says RCMP officers have grown from 142 to 149, while bylaw officers went from 7 to 11 since last year. The RCMP added more funding for even more officers could come within a couple of weeks from the province, but in the meantime, it's about using the officers they have more effectively. The additional funding from, from the province and also uh, readjusting the, the shifts of our downtown safety unit to when uh, the most people and the most problems are occurring, uh, we consistently review that data and, and redeploy our officers based on that. Tommy Osborne, CKPG News. Still ahead, volcanic eruption in Indonesia. Thick clouds of ash sent high into the sky. Now the rush to save climbers stuck on the mountain. And the bombing in Gaza continues after a short-lived pause in fighting. People are told to stay out of certain parts of Gaza, but some say nowhere is safe. For a third day running since the week-long pause, Israel has continued its bombing of Gaza and its ground operation inside the Palestinian enclave. Much of the focus is now on the southern half of Gaza, with reports of Israeli troops moving into that part of the Strip. Israel has again ordered people to leave certain parts of Gaza for their own safety, but many residents say there's nowhere safe left to go. Redmond Shannon reports and a warning some of the details in this story may be disturbing. UNICEF calls this a war on children. In Jabalia camp near Gaza City, more kids are confronted with grief and pain. My father and brother have been killed, says this boy. Israel says it has now launched 10,000 airstrikes on Gaza since the Hamas attacks of October 7th. The focus of those is moving south. The head of Israel's defense forces says the operation in the south will match the north. A spokesperson later confirming troops are now on the ground in the south. It's an area previously supposed to be the safer half of Gaza. This weekend, Khan Yunus in the south experienced what may have been its heaviest bombing of the war so far. Its hospitals under more strain than ever. Israel is now publishing maps to instruct people where to go to stay safe. This man says he and his family are fleeing for the fifth time in two months, insisting there is nowhere safe left. The recent week-long pause in fighting already a distant memory. They need to go back to that pause, humanitarian pause, ceasefire, call it as, as you want, uh, so that you know the whole more positive processes can start again, including putting aid into Gaza to help people that are at risk of their lives. Despite growing, if measured, U.S. pressure to protect civilians in Gaza, Israel says it won't finish until it believes it has eliminated Hamas. Part of that mission includes destroying the tunnel network Israel claims is used by Hamas to coordinate its operations. Israel says it has destroyed 500 of the 800 tunnel shafts it has found. There is grief and fear in Israel too, even if in much smaller numbers. Soldier Ashalwu Sama laid to rest on Sunday, and a synagogue in southern Israel damaged by a rocket attack. Some hopeful news, though, for people in Gaza with links to Canada. 165 citizens, permanent residents and their families are on a new list of those authorised to leave Gaza for Egypt. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. 
As Israel turns the focus of its military operation from northern Gaza to the south, the UN says the number of internally displaced Palestinians has risen to 1.8 million. Close to 80% of the population, or four out of five people in Gaza, have been forced from their homes. Many are living in tents, makeshift shelters, or sleeping on the streets, having moved to southern Gaza to escape Israel's initial bombing campaign in the north. The Hamas-run health ministry says 15,500 people have been killed since Israel waged its war against Hamas in retaliation for the atrocities committed on October 7th. Yesterday, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin delivered his strongest remarks yet, saying yes, Israel has a right to defend itself, but must not lose sight of the innocent lives being caught in the crosshairs. You see, in this kind of a fight, the center of gravity is the civilian population. And if you drive them into the arms of the enemy, you replace a tactical victory with a strategic defeat. So I have repeatedly made clear to Israel's leaders that protecting Palestinian civilians in Gaza is both a moral responsibility and a strategic imperative. In Indonesia, Mount Merapi erupted this morning, spewing thick columns of ash thousands of meters into the air. It's located on the west side of Sumatra Island, and while there are several nearby villages, no casualties are being reported. However, roughly 70 climbers became stranded partway up the volcano due to the eruption. Officials say 28 have been saved. The rest are still waiting to be rescued. A Seattle-based airline is spreading its wings into the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Alaska Airlines is buying Hawaiian Airlines for $2.5 billion Canadian. The deal will solidify Alaska's standing as the fifth largest U.S. airline. Together, the two carriers expect to fly more than 54 million passengers this year. That includes several Alaska flights a day to Vancouver. The combined airlines will maintain hubs in Seattle and Honolulu. RCMP were called to a Toys R Us in Kelowna, but for a very good reason. The annual Stuff the Cruiser event is back. Hoping to put smiles on faces and toys in hands this holiday season, we'll tell you where you can donate. Thousands of people gathered in Prague's Old Town Square to see the lighting of the city Christmas tree. The spruce stands almost 20 meters tall. It's adorned with giant Christmas stars and over 100,000 lights. In addition to the lighting ceremony, people were able to enjoy multiple performances, shopping and food. This year, the theme will celebrate the 50th anniversary of Cinderella, which debuted in 1973. The Old Town Market is consistently ranked as one of the best in the world. Good evening. We have weather statements in place. We've been talking about it all weekend, but we are anticipating the arrival of this atmospheric river through the overnight tonight, expecting heavy amounts of rain for the south coast. So it is going to be a torrential day here on the south coast. It is very long, actually, all the way from Monday morning in through Tuesday morning. So there it is. It's a very uh, wet system. It's going to impact the entire coast. We'll be seeing snow at higher elevations in the morning hours, changing to rain as those temperatures 
temperatures begin to rise. So we are looking at uh, more rain in the forecast mixed with that snow as far as the south coast. It's all about the rain and these totals that we are going to be seeing by the end of it, which is uh, timing into Tuesday. So upwards of 100 millimeters of rainfall for much of the south coast. Uh, you can see here with these numbers, it's going to be a soaker. So prepare for that. Very wet and windy for the north coast. Uh, terrace as well. We'll see a mix of that precipitation around Smithers. Prince George mixed with that rain and snow. Fort St. John, 2 degrees, minus 18 for Fort Nelson. Uh, for the southern half of the province tomorrow, it's going to be snow mixed with rain as well. Uh, definitely a few centimeters of snowfall through the Columbia Kootenai region, hovering right around freezing, a little bit warmer for the Okanagan. Double digits here, and we're going to see these temperatures begin to rise. So very windy on the west side of the island. Even the Sunshine Coast going to be getting very gusty southerly winds. Our temperatures up to 12 degrees, a little bit cooler towards the valley, but it is going to be a wet one and it is going to impact the south coast, especially around high tides. That's what we're watching where we could be seeing some localized flooding as we get into Tuesday and Wednesday. It does improve still wet and gray, but at least we are going to get through it as we get into Tuesday. Okay, thanks, Steph. RCMP making their presence known at Kelowna's Toys R Us today to for the annual Stuff the Cruiser event in support of the Salvation Army. What an exciting day. We're so grateful and there's such a need, so this is perfect. Donations of new unwrapped toys were being dropped off all day at the Toys R Us on Harvey Avenue, as well as the RCMP detachment on Richter Street, where volunteers were on hand to stuff them into police cruisers. We have grandkids, so we kind of know what they like to play with, and uh, I just think about them, so I want other kids to be able to have a good Christmas too. If you missed today's Stuff the Cruiser event, you can still drop off your toy donations at the Salvation Army on Sutherland Avenue or the West Kelowna location on Old Okanagan Highway. Barry's here now. Mm -hmm. It's always a great initiative, fun to see, and it's nice to see those toys going uh, to kids who I'm sure will love them. Sure, sure. Uh, you've got a preview of sports? Yeah, we got, uh, of course, Christine Sinclair is going to play her final game for Canada this Tuesday at BC Place, uh, and she just had her uh, media conference uh, at the stadium a few moments ago, so we'll hear from Christine teeing up what's going to be a pretty emotional night for her. And we'll us all have a story on the uh, plight of BCHL uh, on-ice officials, the referee and linesman, they are kind of in the middle of a feud between the league and Hockey Canada. And, uh, well, you could say it's, uh, in my opinion, at least kind of offside, but these guys are having to go through. So we'll try to explain their plight coming up in sports as well. Okay, sounds good. We'll okay. see you soon, Barry. Thank mm -hmm. you. Still ahead, the plea for more host families for a popular high school exchange program. BC students are heading to Japan, but not enough people have opened their doors to the Japanese students arriving here in a few short months. Stay with us. Impaired driving cases are common at this time of year, and police across BC are stepping up enforcement for the entire holiday season. Check stops are being set up on roads and highways around the province with the focus on combating impaired driving. Hello, how are you doing tonight? Very good, you? Very good. Last drink was when? Holiday festivities have begun, and so have counterattack check stops as police launch the winter impaired driving enforcement campaign. Hello, sir, how are you doing? I'm good. According to ICBC, about 21% of car crash fatalities involve impaired driving. Impaired driving still remains to be one of the leading criminal causes of death in this province. Unfortunately, it's also one of the most preventable. And the penalties are steep. 
Even if you are not charged criminally, you could still face driving suspensions between 24 hours and 90 days, vehicle impoundments, fines up to $4,000, and possibly an ignition interlock installed in your vehicle for up to a year. Pull over in front of this uh, Chevy here to the left, please. Members of Mad Okanagan also making a presence at the check stops as part of their education campaign. Stickers and candy canes and we're just trying to thank people for helping keep our community safe by um, not driving impaired. Police are also reminding drivers at this time of year that alcohol isn't the only substance that impairs driving. We do have drug recognition experts roadside and we do test for these. So if you are found driving under the effects of a drug, whether it's legal or illegal, you can be charged with impaired driving. And you can expect this increased enforcement on the roads right through the new year. For nearly two decades, exchange students from Japan have traveled to Prince George to explore diverse educational and cultural opportunities. But this year, the host school needs more host families, causing officials to scramble in search of homes. Dave Branco of CKPG News reports. In 2003, students from College Heights Secondary embarked on an unforgettable field trip of a lifetime. Randy Petrovic was one of the teachers brave enough to lead them across the Pacific to experience a totally different culture. We learned a lot because we didn't know anything about doing an exchange with a sister school. So it was a huge eye-opener and we realized we had to do things like the school we went to, or the sister school, is a uniform school. So they were quite shocked when we arrived in street clothes because we weren't prepared. We didn't know anything what was involved. We had very little information as we set it up and started going. So that was a big learning curve of what we needed to do to prep our students. As students increasingly embraced the Japanese exchange program, the decision was made to include a class teaching students to read and write in Japanese. Instead of the kids just signing up and going on this trip, instead they take a look at Japanese culture and language before they go so they know what to expect. They know a little bit of how to function in Japanese society um, and it helps them to fit in better instead of just being a tourist in Japan. Now I'm like kind of bilingual, which is really cool and I feel like I can understand people better. Like I can understand videos and text messages from people from Japan. This year's Canada program is very popular, but the problem is demand is greater than supply, as there is a shortage of volunteer host families in Prince George, with the Japanese students scheduled to arrive in March. The challenge is that I think post-pandemic, a lot of families, our, our homes sort of became our, our castle. And I think a lot of families are, are a little shy to open up um, to someone coming in to stay in their homes. Um, but the entire reason behind this program, the, the bigger goal behind this program, is to show our youth that it's not a question of us and them. It is, it is all us. It is to show our youth that whether you speak different languages or eat different foods or pray at different altars, we are all one community. Dave Branco, CKPG News. After the break, Barry's here with sports. There's some NFL action today. Also, why on-ice officials in the BCHL find themselves in a tough position. Stay with us. Discover the Sea to Sky gondola this holiday season. 
Enjoy the decorated trails, photos with Santa, and a winter wonderland at the summit. Join the most ambitious health campaign in BC history. Help the BC Cancer Foundation in raising $500 million to bring world-leading cancer care close to home for every British Columbian. Give today at gobeyondbeliefbc.ca. For Our BC, I'm Yvonne Schell. In partnership with BC Cancer Foundation, with you, life beyond cancer is within reach. Give at bccancerfoundation.com. Barry's here with sports, and uh, we're hearing from a certain soccer superstar mm -hmm. today. Yeah, big celebration coming up the next couple of days. Thanks, Travis. Uh, after 23 years as the leader of Canada's national team, Christine Sinclair will play her final game for Canada Tuesday night at BC Place in a friendly versus Australia. It will be one last chance for fans to show their love and appreciation for one of Canada's greatest athletes ever. Sinclair has never been one for the spotlight, but she is trying to embrace every moment of her farewell tour in her home and native land. Some of my earliest memories of playing soccer in youth was actually here because they used to host like a Safeway soccer tournament here, um, like a youth tournament over the winter, like during school, like it was like between Christmas and New Year's, I think. And some of my best memories of playing youth soccer was on that field. And now to know that I'm finishing my international career on that same field is kind of surreal. Um, yeah, it's kind of come full circle. Well, the Canucks are one for one with Nikita Zadorov in the lineup. The big Russian played about 17 minutes in his debut last night versus the Flames, a 4-3 victory, and he contributed an assist on the game-winning goal. It's just another move by the Canucks to improve the team as they morph into a contender. One other benefit to getting Zadorov, he can help ease the workload on Quinn Hughes and Philip Hironik, who've been playing 27-28 minutes per game of late. Last night, they only played about 22. We played our uh, top four guys uh, heavily here in November, and, and we had a very t uh, condensed schedule to to uh, start off with. So we we felt that there was a need uh, to to add a defenseman here to help our, our group and uh, uh, improve our team as well. Got to show you this from last night. Abbotsford Canucks hosting Laval on Teddy Bear Toss Night. You know the deal. After the first home goal, you throw the Teddy Bears. It took 83 seconds for Chase Waters to score thousands of Teddy Bears for Archway's Toys for Tots. That's great stuffy. Third period now tied at three. Tristan Nielsen, beautiful game-winning goal. Abby wins 4-3. They are 13-5-1 through 19 games, having a great year. NFL today, the NFC Championship rematch from a year ago. Eagles and 49ers from Philly. Of course, the Eagles won last year. Different story today. Debo Samuel, what a day he had. One of his three touchdowns. This one gave the Niners a 21-6 lead. Things got testy. These teams do not like each other. Dre Greenlaw of the Niners with the big throwdown here, and then he gets into it with the Eagles' chief security officer on the sidelines. Of all people, both guys were tossed from the game. Things getting heated in Philly, but Debo Samuel with another great play. It's all yards after the catch, and he ain't stopping. 48-yard touchdown for Samuel. 49ers with a statement win as they go into Philadelphia and thump the Eagles 42-19. Last night at BC Place, BC High School Football Triple-A Championship, Van College fighting Irish in purple against Carson Graham Eagles out of North Van. First quarter, Hudson Bromley will take the handoff and goes 31 yards up the gut for the touchdown. 7-0 
fighting Irish after one. Van College defense, the story in this one, they were stingy. A great interception here by Declan Skinner, tips it to himself, makes the pick. That turnover led to a touchdown, and they led 14-0 at the half. Same score in the fourth, more power football from the Irish. Hudson Bromley bowls his way in for his second TD of the game, and Van College win their second straight AAA title as they shut out Carson Graham 21-0. English Premiership, Manchester City at home to Tottenham. City trying to keep pace with Arsenal and Liverpool. Two all late, Erling Holland to Jack Grealish. His first goal in 27 matches. 3-2 City with less than 10 minutes to go. But Tottenham had other ideas. 90th minute, beautiful cross into Dejan. Kulisevsky, who heads it home and spurs. And Man City draw at three. City slipped to third, a point back of Liverpool, three behind first place Arsenal. Tiger Woods in his Sunday Reds, playing the final round of the Hero World Challenge in the Bahamas. He is the tournament host. His first action since the Masters in April. Had some great moments this week, like this one. Can still hit the ball a mile. Drives the green on the 310-yard par four, but actually a two-putt that for a birdie. Finished at even par, 18th in the field of 20. He'll play with his son Charlie in two weeks at the PNC Championship. Meanwhile, Scotty Scheffler, the world number one, showing off his short game. Almost holds out for an eagle here. Scheffler won it easily by three shots at 20 under par, downing Sepp Straka in second place. When the BCHL decided to go independent this year and cut ties with Hockey Canada, they knew there would be some challenges breaking affiliation with our country's governing body for hockey. But the one group that has really felt the collateral damage are the on-ice officials, who were told in no uncertain terms uh, that if you work for the BCHL, you cannot work anywhere Hockey Canada operates. That's what Hockey Canada told them. It's made for a bitter feud that has young officials caught in the middle and wondering why there's been so much unsportsmanlike conduct on this issue. Like any good team, on-ice officials stick together and support each other, and they've needed that support more than ever this season. When the BCHL cut ties with Hockey Canada this year, officials had to make a decision either work in the BCHL or in leagues controlled by Hockey Canada, such as the Western Hockey League and BC Minor Hockey. In the past, they could do both, but now it's one or the other. It was tough. I think we, we really relied on each other. Like there's tons of group messages going back and forth. Hey, are you going to go? Hey, are you going to stay? Like what's going on? Like we left a lot of like fellow officials that were really friends for like a long period of time. and. Now we're not working with them at all. So it's kind of like, we really want to work with them, but we can't at the same time. I went into it with the mindset of, I'm going to do what's best for me, and I'm going to ignore all the external noise, whether that's positive or negative. And this was the best decision for me, so I just leapt in head first, and here we are. Uh, just build that standard already, but build a good standard, all right? Brad Lazarowicz is in charge of the BCHL officials. He was an NHL linesman for 30 years and is well respected throughout the hockey world. His job is to mentor these young officials and help them reach their NHL dreams one day. But it's been a stressful time for many of them during this crucial part of their development. When we have female officials who are worried about losing their double IHF licenses, when we have officials who are losing the ability to go on and work the Western Hockey League or a U17 tournament, uh, those are all the threats that BC Hockey made to our officials that they came over for us. 
I actually pondered on it for most of the summer. And I figured uh, by doing this, it would ultimately be better for my development. It seems extreme that Hockey Canada would put these kinds of restrictions on young men and women just trying to get to the highest level. They are supposed to be about development after all. And if they're not a member and they're operating outside where we don't really have any ability to control um, any of the things that we think are important, right? Like um, certifications of officials and uh, access to the game and fairness and, and uh, certifications and insurance and all of that stuff, the entire infrastructure. It seems more of a political power struggle than anything. And of course, the ones who pay the price are the young players and officials who can't even put on mentoring camps or clinics for any minor hockey associations because of the Hockey Canada restrictions. People should be concerned that they're following a policy that was put together by Hockey Canada, a parent, that is accepted by Hockey BC, that is drastically hurting development in this province for players and for officials. And I really believe that the future of hockey is going to be independent hockey. I think that smart junior leagues will want to go to independent hockey. I think, I think if I'm a minor hockey association, I'm seriously looking at what is happening in our development model right now with BC hockey. And Lazarowicz says the BCHL has over 50 officials right now and that there are another 50 on the wait list, but there doesn't seem to be much hope that BC Hockey and the BCHL will be able to come to any sort of compromise on restricting these officials from working any minor hockey games in the future. So just a very unfortunate situation. I, I don't think it has to be that way. <laughs> You'd think common sense would prevail. I don't get it. If a guy does a BCHL game, why can't he do the other one? But, I mean, it's... Uh, it's complicated, but uh, simple. But hopefully, uh, hopefully they can resolve that. Yeah, it's just uh, too bad for young <laughs> officials who want to develop their craft and, yeah. and move, move on uh, up sure. the ranks. Okay, right. thanks, Barry. Okay. After the break, we'll introduce you to a Vancouver choir making history on the world stage, winning a major singing competition. Stay with us. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Early morning coffee goers were stopped in their tracks in Victoria. Take a look at this. A muster of peahens decided to keep customers out of the Starbucks in Cook Street Village this morning. Our very own Jordan Armstrong was among those being blocked out. The Lionsgate Chorus has a long history in BC and the group has a new trophy for the mantle. They finished first at the Sweet Adeline's competition in Kentucky. Being best in the world is a highlight for a group that has been singing barbershop a cappella for nearly 70 years. Here's Jay Durant with This Is BC. A perfect score at the most prestigious competition. This is like the Olympics of the singing world. A record-setting show on the way to their first ever world title. The whole arena actually erupted because 
Uh, I think a lot of the audience wanted us to win too. It was sobbing, laughing, all of the things in between, and just one of those peak life experiences. Lionsgate Chorus rolled out a flawless performance, choreographed around a theme featuring their worst nightmares before a contest. Uh, somebody delivered pizza in the middle of the package, a cell phone went off. People fell off the risers, Sandy fell down several times. Channeling their inner Alice Cooper at one point. Welcome to your nightmare. First time on the barbershop contest stage, we sang an Alice Cooper tune, Welcome to My Nightmare. What will we find? I think he's going to love it. He's going to love it. There have been thousands of members who have sang in this chorus that first started in 1954, a legacy that has now lasted almost 70 years. It was probably a bunch of disgruntled housewives who were tired of their husbands going off to sing, and so they started their own organization and their own choir. It will take a while to come down from the high of this win. <laughs> we're still a bit in shock, actually. It's been decades in the making for these gold medals that they hope come a little more frequently now in the future. We're just going to live in the moment and enjoy this victory for as long as we can. We go back to international next year, as the reigning champions and we'll sing away the the victory and do our swan set jay durant global news if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to bc that people need to know about email your ideas to jay at this is bc at globalnews.ca talented group of singers there mm -hmm. for sure congratulations to them. late great deb hope used to be a great singer in the in the uh, choirs could carry a tune as good as any that's for sure how about you uh me no i'm uh, shower only uh, shower only uh, no no audience and uh I, I give myself a standing ovation at all times so. yeah i'm probably uh, shower <laughs> only too and no one can be home even then so uh, yeah the acoustics still plug your ears great. yeah yeah all right well that's it for us tonight we'll be back here at 11 thanks so much for joining us